Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. I was ready to go, so. All right. Unexpected news. We were talking about Zachariah and Mary last week. I promise you, when the Lord put that together in my mind, it wasn't because it was going to be a life application message immediately as I was done. It wasn't that. It was the Lord just began to speak to me about how we get unexpected news all the time. It's God's plan coming together. It's, it's, it's his fulfillment of scripture in the most unlikely ways. And we saw that with Zechariah, and we saw that with Mary. And, um, you know, the thing about it is God's plan may not always make sense, but it is always right. It's always right, but it never, it very rarely makes sense. Today we're going to be jumping into Luke 2, and it's God's plan on how heaven invaded earth. And I love that. I shared with the, the, um, teenagers, couple weeks ago about heaven invading earth and I, I showed them two extremely different movie clips and um, I'm not gonna do that for you guys today because you would have been really confused um, but one was this scene um, in Hunger Games where they're attacking uh, the kingdom or they're attacking the dam but the reason why they're doing that is because it's about a secret invasion that's gonna happen and they needed to put some things in place and then the other one was uh, Talladega Nights when uh, Ricky Bobby uses every prayer with little baby Jesus. And sometimes we have these two different dynamics of how we look at how Jesus and the birth of Jesus relates. And sometimes we're like Ricky Bobby and we call on little cute, um, you know, diaper wearing uh gold wearing, I don't know, I can't even remember what all he said, but you know, he always had something. And then some of us are like, he's a warrior, he's a fighter. Um, but you need to know that the birth of Jesus was an undercover mission. It was an undercover mission. And I, I love the thought of that, being an undercover mission, because nearly 900 years ago before that, Nathan the prophet was prophesying in, to David, and he shares with him uh, in, in Second Samuel 7, um, he begins to share with them about how out of his lineage will come the Savior. How this man, this, this, the, the God will come in a man's form and he will be the Savior to the world and he will come through your lineage. And right before that, he had just told uh, David to, he was, David was planning on attacking. He said, go ahead and do it. The Lord's with you. In fact, not only is he with you, but here's the plan. And this was 900 years previous to that. So for 900 years, they have been sharing generation after generation after generation about a plan that they know is going to happen. Right? And so they're, they're excited about it. And the crazy thing is, is the way they think this is going to happen plays out completely different. That's why I said it was an undercover mission, because what they thought was going to happen, because he was coming from the lineage of David, that meant he was going to be a great warrior, because David was considered the greatest king in a battle, a warrior on the field, in battle, 
right? And so that meant what was going to happen is, is there would be a castle, there would be a kingdom. Jesus would, the Savior would be born in that. He would be raised up with a silver spoon in his mouth and everything would be perfect and he would learn all these battle tactics and then he would restore, um, he would restore Israel out of Roman occupation. That's what they, that's what they spent all these generations telling each other. This is what we're going to experience. And yet all while the God has a secret mission where he is going to do very something very, very different in an unexpected way. And so let's pick up in Luke two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, and the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, the NIV uses guest room. Uh, I know that lots of times as we're growing up, we hear people will say kind of flippantly, there's no room at the inn. So uh, I want to make sure you guys know that when they're talking about it, there wasn't a hotel. Okay, it wasn't like they were going to a hotel, there was no rooms available, and so they went to the manger. What it is is that because all of these families were coming into town, everybody had guests. And it would have been called an upper room. I love that term, upper room. But the guests stayed in the upper room. That's where you got to stay. And so they were out of room. There was no room in the upper area of the house. And so the only choice was, I mean, clearly, if you have that much family in, I mean, it's Christmas time. You know it's like to have family in, right? All the couches are taken. All the beds are taken. And people are sleeping in the bathtubs. And at that point in time, they're moving into the garage, right? But they're in, and they're in the manger, and there's, there's so much, there's a reason we're going to cover some of why they end there, why they end up there. But the thing about this whole story is the anticipation. Generations of anticipation of the coming Christ. The excitement that there was knowing that this was going to happen. Never knowing how not fully understanding what's going to be the way it's going to scenario is going to play out. But the anticipation was huge. It was excitement. There was an area that, and, and the thing about it is, is when you think about Jesus, when you think about God and Jesus, you need to understand that Jesus always existed. Because in Colossians, it says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is, in, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and shed on the cross. 
The anticipation was knowing that what he was going to be doing was reconciling a broken world back to him. He had to come dwell among us. The people knew this. They were excited. They wanted him to come dwell among them because that meant there was restoration. There was reconciliation around, right around the corner. They knew that someone would pay the ransom to be free from sin. So while humanity is waiting, right? They're waiting for this king to come in and overturn power. They're waiting for this certain type of king to come in and overturn power and authorities. God was working the secret mission. He's got this secret invasion going, and it's going to return all power and authority to mankind. You see, people thought he was coming to rule when he was really coming to reign and empower us to rule. That was why there was anticipation. That was why there was excitement. They're like, yes, there's going to be a return of power. We're not going to be under authority anymore. We're not going to be under oppression anymore. And so they were waiting for that moment, always with anticipation. So I think it's fitting as we come into Christmas season to talk about anticipation. Because, man, if there's ever a time for anticipation... It's Christmas time, right? I mean, like when you're little, you know the gifts are coming. You know that there's going to be things happening. But then there's anticipation on the adult side of things. Sometimes anticipation that leads to worry. Did I remember everybody? Are they going to like what have we got? Is it going to be enough? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Anticipation can be waned. It can be tricked and pulled away from an excitement anticipation to an anxiety type anticipation. And we're not called to walk in that. In fact, as we're called to walk in excitement, the celebration of Jesus' birth should be exciting. Now, when I think about exciting, I think of like the words like bewildering, like you're just like you're just so amazed or almost like you're on your tippy toes. You're like, you just can't wait to lean in and get into what, like, you're like at the edge, especially when it's Christmas morning and the toy, the, the things are ready to be open, right? And the kids are like, they're just, they're, let's go, let's do this. And some parents are really mean and they're like, no one gets up until I have coffee. We're not doing anything until I have this. And the kids are just edgy, right? They're just so excited. They're just like, man, there's like buzzing. Man, that's what, to me, that's what celebrating Jesus' birth is all about. Uh, by the way, I need to clarify something. This is not the Grinch. This is Yoda. Okay? We have Yoda-isms going on here. Okay, I just want to make sure. The season to be jolly it is. I just wanted to make sure that we know that because, man, for me, Christmas is all about the excitement of what the birth of Jesus meant. See, they had anticipation for what was to come. We know the whole story. But they had an anticipation of what was to come. And this is the other thing. I made a comment about it a couple of times. Everybody will say Christmas is for the children. Especially when you get older, right? And your kids have grown up and they've gone out. And Christmas morning completely changes for you. And there becomes this mentality of like, well, it's just for the children. But the crazy thing is the birth of Jesus was for all. Christmas is for everybody. 
It's the joy of the hope of what is to come. That is for all of us. And here's the thing. A childlike faith keeps the excitement of what God is doing today in line with the excitement of the shepherds on the starry night when they are visited by an angel. You see, I love the first part of Luke 2. I love that we get to talk about the birth of Jesus. But I really like the shepherd's story. For me, I I, I love this one. So we're going to pick up in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, some historians will say that this particular field would have belonged to the animals that would have been sacrificed. So, something to think about. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Isn't that how it's always, that's always the thing. Here shows up an angel, and the first thing they, they're terrified, and they always have to greet everybody with, do not be afraid. It's okay. Do not worry. But I love that. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I wonder if an angel ever showed up and said, don't be afraid, but I have bad news. They always show up and go, do not be afraid. I have good news. But it makes you wonder. Well, it makes me wonder anyway, because they made sure they put it in there. I have good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I love this passage. And the reason why I love this passage is that word host is stradia. Stradia is a word that compares the angels, what the angels would have looked like, the size of what your eye would have seen would be compared to looking at this one host would be like looking to the stars in heaven. That's a lot, right? Like when you look into a good clear sky, there's a lot. So this is a company of heavenly hosts, military term. That means it's a big one. That means there is a lot of light So you picture the scene, right? Here they are. It's a dark night. They're just minding their business. They're just doing their stuff, whatever they do with the flock. They're just making sure things are going well. All of a sudden, an angel pops up, right? Scared them. Scared them. And then says, wait, I have good news. Shares the good news. And then all of a sudden, a worship session starts. And because that's what it says, not only, not only do they show up in brightness. I mean, you talk about a light that lit up the sky, but also they were singing all these voices. And whenever I read this passage, which I read it often because I love it. I always think about big churches or like across the street at the annex, because we'll turn the lights off right? We'll turn the lights down and then we bring big lights up and then we bring worship really, really loud. And I feel like that the churches that are doing that, they're just trying to recreate the night the shepherds had their first worship session. 
that's just me, but that's what I visualize in my head, recreating that moment where darkness was interrupted by a brilliant light and by a worship session of people, of angels singing. And they had to be overwhelmed by this, right? I mean, like when you're, when it's quiet and you can just hear the animals, to all of a sudden your world erupts with worship all around you. Overwhelming and compelling to the point that they said, we got to go. Got to go. And you, I wonder, you know, I tell you, I have these, these visions in my head, but one, they said, we got to go. Do you think that anybody said, Hey, maybe one of you should stay back and watch our animals? No, not even a little bit. They were like, the Lord is moving. We have got to go where the Lord is. We have got to go where it's happening. They didn't even think about it. And I wonder if they in their head thought, you know what? If the Lord calls us, the Lord will protect what is ours because it's really his anyway. So he'll protect as they go. I mean, were they like riding a donkey? And they're like hitting that thing. Let's go faster. Let's get there. Let's go. Do you think they were run, I mean, running as hard as they could? And they're like, I will run until I drop because I'm going to see what the Lord is doing. Or do you think they were this? <sighs> I can't believe it's today of all days. I had plans today and now I got to go do this. We're going to be late. What's the point of even going? <laughs> we'll just watch it online. No, they were like, you know, they were excited. You know, their conversation, you know, they were, you know, they were like, man, we've been hearing about this for generations. We get to be a part of the story. We get to be a part. This is the coolest. Thing. They're like high-fiving each other. You know, one of them was like, hey, we need to stop and get some coffee. He's like, we don't need coffee. Let's go. Let's get there. Let's make this happen. You know, you know, they were like, let's go. Someone, I got to go to the bathroom. We ain't got time for bathroom breaks. Let's go. The Lord is moving. Anticipation. They had anticipation to see what was going on. They had an overwhelming. It was so overwhelming that it compelled them to drop what they were doing and go. And I love this story because I want to have faith like that. Because so often I weigh the pros and cons. I think about it. I'm going to pray about that. But what happens when the moment the Lord begins to move and he prompts you and you go, I know I should go, but I don't know. I want to have faith like those shepherds. I want to be able to react like them and just simply go because I'm compelled to go with excitement. They left their flocks, which is a major, you need to know that's a major no-no. Like that would get them fired. Um, and we don't know. No sheep were lost. We don't know the outcome of that. But we know that they decided to welcome Jesus into the world, and they felt that that was more important than tending to the flock. In fact, is that was pretty much the most important thing that they could do. They decided they needed to go worship Jesus. They chose to worship Jesus.
How often do we choose to worship Jesus versus we feel like we have to? Because there's a difference in the heart. It wasn't their job to go. Fact is, they risked their job to go, but they went. So let's pick up afterwards, right? Because they've excited. They've been doing this trip. They've been egging. They're probably like egging each other on. I can run faster than you. I can get there quicker. I'll be the first one to see him. I'll be the first one in the door. I don't know. There's a going, going, right? So, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at while the shepherds at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So we went through a very quick time. Those few verses, we saw a lot of things. They made a trip. They came in. They worshipped. They went around and told everybody. Everybody was amazed. And then they went back. So that a whole lot happened. But you know, the thing I want to focus on is that when they came in, they simply worshiped, right? They didn't have anything to bring. They didn't have anything to give. They weren't, um, they, they didn't come in with this attitude of like, well, it's a baby. What's he going to do? Or they didn't come into the, well, you know, he's in a manger. It's kind of dirty out here. That, that wasn't a great worship experience. They, they, they didn't have the seating that I liked. They didn't have this, they didn't have that. They came in and they worshiped. That's it. They gave him his best. And they were excited about it. And the crazy thing about a manger, why a manger? Why was Jesus in a manger? So in a manger, there's a couple things that would have happened here. One, the owner would have been a place where a sacrifice would have taken place. Amazing that where an owner would have sacrificed one of his animals for an offering that the Savior of the world, our ultimate sacrifice, would have been born. Two is, manger was actually a prized possession of the homeowner. It's where he kept his animals. It's, he also would um, pay the shepherds to take care of them. Animals were not just um, these things that they had. They were a high, they were a commodity. They were a prized possession. They were valuable. And so if you had a manger, that meant you took care of your animals well. That, that meant there was good things for your animals. I mean, it meant you, you loved and cared for them. And so the manger has a lot of significance. But the shepherds showed up with hope and anticipation. And the thing about it is, like I said, they didn't bring presents, right? They didn't have any gifts to bring. But they brought their presence into his presence. They're like, I have nothing else. When they left, I wonder, while they're making the trip, do you think they're like, hey, we should stop at Walmart and pick up a couple things? No, they were like, I just need to be in his presence. My presence needs to be in his presence. That's all that matters. I've been hearing about this, and now it's time to make this happen. And so they didn't bring any gifts. They simply needed to be there to be a part of God's promises and prophecies being fulfilled. And with that, they were content, content to be in there in that situation. They were shepherds. 
Do you know in that time of day, you, you probably know this because you've all heard this before, but the shepherds were kind of at the low end of the social atmosphere. Does that make sense? Right? They weren't VIP. They weren't kings. Uh, they were kind of on the low end of it. So what about those who had wealth? I'm glad you asked. That was a good question. Because we learn in Matthew 2 about King Herod. King Herod caught wind that this savior baby boy was going to come into the world. This king of kings, this ruler of rulers that was going to be born. And he had a secret plan as well. Right? He gathers the magi. The word is magos. They are spiritual advisors or priests as we would know them. But he gathers them. Now he's already had a meeting, a kind of a public meeting with a whole bunch of them. But then in secret, he gathers these three and he says, all right, look, here's the deal. I know this has happened. I know you want to go find him. And so you go find him. And then when you find him, let me know. Let me know where he is because I want to go worship him. But the truth is, the word says he really wanted to kill him. And isn't that how the enemy works? God's got an invasion plan and it's secret. We don't know how it works. And then the enemy goes, oh yeah, I got counterfeit to that. I can come against that. I can work against that. And he begins to send up, set up this plan and he's going to send these magi out to find him. The enemy is always trying to undo what the father is doing. So in Matthew 2, we find out, it says, after they heard the king, the magi, they've already had their little secret meeting with him. And uh, they went on their way and the star had they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, oh, that sentence by itself doesn't seem like a lot of passion, right? They were overjoyed. I guess if I read it, they were overjoyed. It would, might sound a little more passionate, but the reality is, is when you take that sentence and break down each word in Greek, the word joy is so redundant because they wanted to express they were ecstatic. They were overwhelmed with joy. They couldn't contain it. That's how excited they were. So when we see that, I, when first, I remember the first few times I read it, I was kind of like, they were overjoyed because the trip was over. They just spent like over two years looking. But the reality is they weren't overjoyed that the trip was done, that they finally found him. They were overjoyed because they found him. How often do we forget that joy the first time we say yes to Jesus and we're so excited? I always want to call on that, that joy that they have. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why, why were they able to do that? Because they didn't necessarily be as they were preparing for the trip, go, you bring the gold, you bring the frankincense, and you bring the myrrh. We're good. You need to understand, this wasn't just three guys that decided to take a trip. First of all, they were very wealthy, very wealthy. Their caravan would have been had, would have had about a hundred people. One, because of their wealth, they would have needed some security. Two, 
is that they need some people to wait on them. They need people to set up the tents and tear down the tents, you know. you got to have someone feed the animals and take care of the animals. you got to have someone cook. you have someone doing some cleaning. So this caravan was quite large. It was about 100 people it would have been to go on this trip. They spent a little over two years on this trip. You read this passage, it sounds like it was an overnight thing. Hey, we went to Louisville, found him, and we're back home. It wasn't like that. They searched and searched and searched. Why so long? Why so long? And why the wealth? Because God's timing is always perfect. Because while they were looking for him, angel had come to Joseph in a dream and said, hey, you need to get out of town. You got to get to Egypt. Herod is trying to kill your son. Now, as most good fathers, when you hear news like that, you're like, well, my checking account is a little low. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I want to make this happen. I need to make this happen. And you know, he's praying about it. And then out of here comes the wealth because of that wealth, because of what was given to them, they were able to escape. Isn't God's timing always perfect? Imagine how impatient we get. When we need a miracle, Joseph needed a miracle. We don't know when he got the dream. We don't know. We're not, we're never given days. We don't know if that dream was the night before they showed up or a year before, but I do know that he needed a miracle. How often do we need a miracle? We get impatient and we're like, I need it now, but God's timing is perfect. When it comes through, will be the perfect time. It'll be exactly when it's needed. But sometimes we get so impatient, we mess it up. We go ahead and jump out and we do something. And then when, because we get ahead of God, we suffer loss. Right? Does that happen? Dang. Darn. Messed it up. Man, God was saying this and I knew and I needed to be patient. But you know what? I got impatient, so I jumped. And then when it didn't go as planned, we suffer loss. Or maybe God's plan was unfolding, but the enemy sent a counterfeit. And that can be friends or family or even a foe. But either way, you suffer loss. Either way, we suffer while we're waiting for that miracle and we can get frustrated with God and we can lose hope and we're like, I need to see that miracle happen. Jesus' birth was a sign of hope was a sign of hope. It was a sign that says you and I have promises that God wants to fulfill to us. He has a good plan for us, right? But we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know what the plan is. And, but we do know this. He never said it would be easy. Imagine how hard it would be to know that you needed to get your son out of the country because you know his purpose is for salvation for the whole world, and yet wondering, where's the miracle? When's it going to happen? I lean to believe that he probably had that news for a very long time. He probably was holding on to that. And every bit of that points to the cross. Every bit of that story, because this, gold is often used as a symbol of the deity of Christ. Two, frankincense, points to the perfect life of holiness, excellence, and devotion. 
and myrrh was an embalming spice. And it speaks to us of the suffering love that would lead him to death on the cross. Because you know when you hear that story and we sing the song and we, we say those three items, why would he need myrrh? He's a baby. Why did he need those things? But he needed those things because they point to the cross. Celebrating Jesus' birthday. I love Jared drumming his sweater. It was sweater day, but y'all didn't get the notice, but his says birthday boy on it. I love that. We love to celebrate birthdays. Why do we love to celebrate birthdays? We celebrate birthdays because we're celebrating a life that has purpose. We're celebrating the hope of what they will become. As well as, if you've had a lot of birthdays to celebrate, we're celebrating a life of what you've done. And that you're still here. And that things are still going. But we love to celebrate birthdays because we're celebrating life. And we say these cliche things. Jesus was the greatest gift ever. Eternal life is the greatest gift. That is the greatest gift that we'll ever receive. When Jesus was born, it's a reminder. We celebrate Christmas every reminder of the hope of things to come and the future that holds in front of us. It's a full circle thing. And so Jesus was all about, we need to be all about celebrating his birth because Jesus' birth is the good news. That's what we say, right? It's the good news. My problem with that is the word good just isn't strong enough for how great it is. Because if we're that excited about the birth of Jesus, then somewhere along the line, our anticipation, our excitement needs to line up with how exciting it should be. Does that make sense? But for so many... Right now, it's a season of, it's Christmas. Can we just get it over with? True? For some? Especially when we're looking back, when we're waiting on the miracle, when we're waiting for God to move, when we're in need of something happening or when we've experienced loss or when we've experienced those moments in life where we look back and say, man, I really messed that up. I probably wouldn't even be worthy enough to come into the manger because of the things that I've done. And yet the manger was not just for the VIP it was for even the lowest on the social ladder. Ladder, yeah. Jesus leveled the playing field and said that it doesn't matter where you are in life. When I am the center of what you are doing, there is my provision and blessing. He leveled it all. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if socially you're up here or you're down here. There isn't a down here and there isn't an up here. Because when it comes to me, if I'm in the center, everything else revolves around that. So he leveled the playing field. He brought hope to everybody. He humbles the proud and he empowers the powerless. It gives the hopeless hope. Gives the hopeless hope. You know, the crazy thing about when we look at the shepherds that came to him and we look at the magi that came to him, 
And we say, well, one brought gifts. The other one brought themselves. Ultimately, they brought the same thing. They brought their presence themselves. They brought their time. They sacrificed time to get to him. And then they brought their worship. It's the three things. They brought the same thing. It just looked different. That's the leveling of the playing field. That's the leveling that Jesus did. That's the hope of what Jesus was born for, is to say, you know what? The only thing that matters is this. Me and you, your time to me, and you worshiping me. That's it. It doesn't matter what you have to bring to the table. They brought the same thing. They looked different, but it was the same heart. It was the same heart. The gift of hope that they had in him. It's what compelled them to go to him. They sacrificed their time to pursue and encounter and experience him. I love that word, pursue, encounter, and experience him. They sacrificed their time to do all three of those things. It wasn't the attitude of like, hey, listen, we need to go. We're going to hang out like for five minutes, park in the back so we don't get stuck in. And we're going to get out of there. They came, right? They pursued him. They encountered him. And they experienced him. It was life change. The shepherds, you think when they went back to the fields, the first thing that they did was, hey, I need to check on the flock. Don't tell anybody anything yet. I got to, you know, you know, they, they didn't even go. They're just like, yep, we're back. Got to tell you stuff, people. That Savior that we've been talking, hearing about for the long time, man, first of all, let me tell you about the worship session we had in the middle of the night. That was crazy. There was excitement in their, in their breath. There was excitement in their countenance. And as we roll into this season, as we roll in, tomorrow is Christmas Eve. And as we sit here and stand here, some are thinking about all the running around they need to do and they're worn out. They're tired already. Some are thinking about the things that they won't have. Some are thinking about things of family members and things that have happened that they need to deal with. And yet this is supposed to be a joyous occasion. Don't you know that the enemy wants to steal your joy? The enemy wants to take away your excitement and your anticipation for celebrating the birth of Jesus. The enemy wants to steal that from you in different formats. And I believe today, I believe today that the Holy Spirit wants to return joy and excitement because he wants to deal with some things. I believe that he wants to deal with some grief. I believe that some of us have grief that is stealing our joy. And that doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that you don't think about it and you don't talk about it. It just means that the hope of Jesus is more exciting than the loss that was experienced. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Because I think there's two things. I just want you to stand. Go ahead and stand up. I'd ask you, I would ask you to begin to just pray. 
What is the Lord speaking to you? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What is the Holy Spirit speaking? Because I believe that there are some in this room that as we talk about the birth of Jesus, you are like, I don't even know who this person is. But if he brought that much hope to those that were anticipating his arrival, and if that was the case, and we're still celebrating the hope that he brings to the lost and the wandering, that for some of you, someone who does not know him as your savior, today is your day to come to know him. As we are getting ready to celebrate his birthday, how awesome would it be that your new birth would be on or close to his day of birth. And then for, for those of you who right now are oppressed with grief and worry and anxiety and concern, the enemy does not want you to be overwhelmed by, or the enemy wants you to be overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you what, God does not. God wants you to celebrate. God wants us to say, man, I cannot wait for Christmas Day to be here. We would love to walk through some of that grief with you. There'll be people up here to pray with you. We have young people that are able to pray with you. I mean, they, they hear from the Holy Spirit. We have all ages. And I would just challenge you to be able to lay those things down so that as you go into this season, that not only is hope and joy restored to you, but when you walk out of these doors, you take hope and joy to the world out there who need it. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring hope and joy to those out there because they need us. They need it.